It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pumped hydro. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero Science and Solutions Show. We're coming to you remotely via the studios of 3CR Melbourne. Our program is syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and the Science and Solutions Show are now also available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe and rate us to help others find the shows. I'm Kay Wenigal, and today I'm exploring South Australia's renewable energy plans. During much of the last decade, South Australia has been a leading light in Australia, along with the ACT, when it comes to renewable energy development. From the heady days when the Jay Weatherill government positioned the state as Australia's clean energy leader to now, with the current government not just continuing developments at pace, but bringing even more exciting innovations. To help us understand the vision the South Australian government has for its zero carbon transition, I'm joined by the South Australian Minister for Energy and Mining, the Honourable Dan Van Holst Pelican. Hello, Dan. Thanks for joining the show. Yes, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be on with uh, BZE. I'm, I'm very grateful to be invited. That's wonderful to hear, and I'm glad to hear that you know of BZE. Well, I first learned of BZE, and I, I think it was about October 2010 when Mark Oggy and some others, and in fact, Doctors for the Environment, Dr. David Shearman, I think it was, came to, uh, to Port Augusta to talk about uh, the opportunity for solar thermal power generation here. That was my first engagement, and it's been positive ever since. Oh, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? And that was solar thermal and wind and pumped hydro, I think, as well, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It was very much uh, with regard to advocacy for, for solar thermal energy. We had a very full town hall style meeting uh, here in Port Augusta and, and I, I really knew nothing about it at that point in time. Came along, sat, was really pleased to, to learn about it. Had a meeting with Mark and a few others who presented in my office immediately afterwards. And we, we had a really constructive conversation with saying, well, look, this is where we want to go. And, and I said, well, yes, and, and I'd like to end up at the same place, but I've got a different view on, on the, 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 what I think would be the best pathway. But it was, was, was very useful, very productive. Uh, and, and following that, I organised a meeting for all South Australian members of parliament to hear essentially the same proposal from them as well. Uh, and we established a parliamentary select committee to look into it to to, to give it, you know, as, as much airing and as much, you know, uh, investigation and, and analysis as possible as well. So, um, and it wouldn't have happened if BZE hadn't come to, uh, to Port Augusta. Wow. Our listeners would be very aware how South Australia is a global leader in the zero carbon transition. Can you tell us what achievements you're most proud of to date? Well, I'm, I am proud, and, and the, as I said, the previous government gets credit for this, I am proud of the fact that 
you know, we are in excess of 50% renewable energy duration these days. We are moving very quickly to 75% and, and not too far down the track, 85%. So I'm, I'm proud as a state for that. I take no credit for that because it was something that happened under the, the previous government and very much with industry, right? I mean, industry in South Australia, they're actually the ones that actually do these things. Government sets policies and encourages or dissuades from other directions, but industry does it. I have to say that, you know, from my perspective and our government's perspective, I'm, I'm very pleased that some of the things that we've done, the policies we've implemented have led to prices reducing wholesale and retail prices reducing and reliability improving. Now, you're never, ever out of the woods with those things. You know, you can never rest on your laurels. But our home battery scheme, you know, we've got 13,000 households in South Australia have committed to purchase batteries to help themselves. And then that helps the grid. Our grid scale storage program is, is rolling out very well. There are a lot of things that I'm I'm very pleased that we're doing that are having positive benefits to essentially harness that renewable energy so that it works for consumers in the way that they want it to work. But, you know, we've, we've got a long way to go still. We're not nearly there yet. What are the South Australian renewable energy targets at the moment? We don't have one. Uh, very deliberately, we don't have one. And I know this concerns a lot of people, but, you know, we, we're 52 or 3% now if we do nothing, 2025 will be 75%. So a 75% target, while it might sound great, really wouldn't mean anything because that would be a target government could try and look good if they wanted to and achieve by doing nothing. So we're not interested in that. So we, we, we do not have a renewable energy target. The only target that's connected to that is, and I'll be very careful to try and explain this properly, is net zero emissions from the generation of electricity in the 2030s is the official government target. And as I always say, my personal target, and I'm, I'm determined that we meet it, is by 2030, net zero emissions from the generation of electricity in South Australia by 2030. I'm sure we can achieve that. I'm sure we will. And while the, the official government statement is a bit more cautious than that, my personal ambition is is by 2030 and I'm, I'm sure we'll do it and of course net 100 percent has a, a different meaning to 100 percent renewables yeah it does it, it, it very different and, and because you know we're we're an island nation or or a two island nation i suppose assuming we don't have interconnection with uh, you know any other countries which could happen but it's unlikely there is a project some cable i think to try and send electricity to singapore so great but what that means is if every state is net 100%, then actually we are flat out 100% because you can't have every state being net 100% without that. But the reason net is very important is because we have the capacity to generate enormous amounts of electricity in South Australia from sun and wind. If when we get our interconnector up to New South Wales, we will, we will export far more renewable energy to New South Wales than we'll ever import from them. And, and so we know that there will be times until we get this system, you know, 100% right so that it can be renewable only until that point in time, we will need to swap and trade. Uh, we will generate far, far more renewable energy in South Australia than we need to consume. There will be times we'll be glad to have other sources 
of, of energy and those other sources, the volume of them will decrease over time. So the net is so that we can help ourselves, but it's also so that we can help other states that don't have the same ability to generate from sun and wind that we do. We can help them consume more sun and wind. So the net is actually very important, at least for the next, you know, I guess, you know, decade or two until all of Australia can actually be self-sufficient from renewables only with other technology like storage and interconnection. You mentioned your home battery storage program, and I think you call them virtual power plants. And according to AEMO, virtual power plants could account for more than eight times the output of big batteries by 2028 to 2029. Is that a significant part of your program then? Yeah, it is. Getting the mix right is, is really important. So while we need different types of renewable energy, we'll need a little bit of gas for a while yet, we need storage. Even within each of those categories, getting the mix right is, is vital. So home batteries uh, are about households, uh, you know, at its simplest, generating their own electricity during the day when typically they're not consuming much from their own rooftop, putting it into their battery then in the evening when on average, Households consume a lot more electricity, but the sun's not shining, using their own electricity for their own household. So what that does, as well as helping that individual household, they are not putting as much electricity into the grid in the middle of the day when we have a net negative demand challenge learning, so it helps with that. But then also those households, tens of thousands of them in, in the not too distant future, will be drawing less out of the grid in the evening when our grid is often under pressure. So what that does is it improves things for every other household that doesn't have a battery and solar as well, reduces prices, improves reliability for them. The large grid-scale batteries do very different things. They're not so much about storing and delivering electricity when there's not enough. Yes, they can do that, but they're far more about voltage control and frequency control and those ancillary services providing massive shock absorbers, you know, sucking out huge amounts of electricity from the grid really fast to help with quality issues or pushing massive amounts of electricity to the grid really fast for exactly the same reasons. So different types of storage do different things. And then to your comment about home battery scheme versus virtual power plant, uh, they are different things. We are running a virtual power plant in partnership with Tesla side by side with our home battery scheme. But importantly, our home battery scheme enables any household that acquires a battery to then themselves participate in a virtual power plant. And we have eight of them on offer now in South Australia. So sort of the South Australian VPP and the South Australian home battery scheme are different programs both running in parallel but of course they're closely linked and I think we're not too far away from any household that has solar and a battery they will participate voluntarily in a VPP because the opportunities are just far too attractive. You mentioned the Tesla battery early and that's already been increased in size by 50 percent what are the other large-scale battery installations? Yeah, we've, we've actually got four of them at the moment. We've got one that Electronet runs at Dalrymple at the bottom of the York Peninsula. We've got another one at Lincoln Gap, which is just outside of Port Augusta, which Nexif operates. They've completed their first stage of their wind farm there uh, with battery installation. Next month, in September, they begin stage two, and they've got 
an application pending for stage three. So there's, there's a battery there. There's the Hornsdale battery that you mentioned near Jamestown, which is sort of the, the big battery, which, which everybody talks about. Previous government started that up to 100 megawatts. And as you say, we've, we've added another 50% on top of that. It was something that we fully supported from opposition and, and now taking it a bit further. And the fourth one uh, is down at Lake Bonnie, Infogen which is actually in the transition of being sold to Iberdrola, a large Spanish company. They have another battery down there. So, so four on the ground and others planned. Neowen is planning very, very significant battery storage in their Goita South program near Borough. And AGL announced about two weeks ago that they are seriously contemplating a battery on site near their Barker Inlet power station. Yeah, I understand the Neon Goida South Wind Solar and Storage Project has a battery that's nearly 10 times bigger than the Tesla battery. Yeah, 900 megawatts uh, in total between the, the three stages. It's quite extraordinary. Neon's been a company which has, has been very good for us to deal with. They get their permissions, they get their approvals, they invest, they get on and do the job, which is terrific. They are fully committed to stage one of that program and they're saying quite openly that stages two and three depend upon the SA New South Wales interconnector getting up. And so connecting to what I said before, you know, they'll be positioned on the South Australian side of the border perfectly to be sending renewable energy into New South Wales so that New South Wales ideally can retire some, some coal plant sooner than they currently intend to. Uh, and so, you know, coming back to that net 100%, it's not, a, it's not a fudge in any way because we will need some gas for a while to come, but we intend to produce way more than we need renewable energy and export it into, into other states, Victoria and New South Wales, so that then they can start to retire some of their fossil fuel generation more quickly. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to the South Australian Minister for Energy and Mining, Dan Van holst Khan. We'll get on to the interconnector a little bit later, but at the moment, Neon is saying that wholesale prices have dropped dramatically over the last year, but to keep them low, renewables and storage will need to replace gas generation, whose costs are expected to rise again. So you, you said before you'll, you need to keep gas for a while, but what do you see as the future for gas? Um, I see the, the future for gas generation as declining over time. Uh, I see the future very much about the retirement of, uh, over time, not today or tomorrow, but, you know, in five and ten years' time, most likely, maybe a bit longer, the retirement of the old-style generators, the, the ones that were built uh, 20, 30, and in some cases nearly 50 years ago, to just be turned on, run for months at a time, shut them down for some maintenance, uh, and then turn them on again. We're way past that. There's new generation capacity now, gas generation capacity now, which when it operates is far more efficient, creates more electricity with far less gas, which is a good thing. But more importantly, perhaps, is the fast start gas can enter and leave the market within minutes rather than within hours. And while um, I know some people are disappointed that, that I believe this is an important feature of where we're going, and I understand that in a perhaps not immediately obvious way, if we could get another fast start gas generator into South Australia, that would enable more renewable energy 
to be developed and less gas to be used. And the reason for that is one of the great challenges is, and I just think about wind and sun, it's not, of course, not the only renewable energy, but it's, it's mostly what we have. At its most basic, it's there when it's sunny and it's windy, and when it's not sunny, it's not windy, it's not there. Now, interconnection, storage, wide range of other things helps us bridge that gap. But very importantly, the ability to enter and leave the market with efficient, low gas usage generation within minutes means when we have gaps in supply from renewable energy, then we can enter the, the market quickly with gas and get out of the market quickly with gas. If there's a bit more of that capacity, then we can rely even more on the renewable energy. So we'll use a lot, lot less gas than that. And I think, you know, I think I understand people want to use less gas. It's not about the gas generators, it's the gas they want. So this is a way of having less gas, more renewables in a very pragmatic way. And, you know, another criticism of this is, well, when supply from renewables is low, prices are high, the gas uh, can enter the market then and make a profit, which means that, that the owner of the gas generator can operate maybe just 10% or 20% of the time throughout the year, but it's still financially viable. People say, oh, that's just profit taking. You'd just be helping people make money out of gas. The second they enter the market, the price starts to drop. If they don't enter the market, the price continues to go up and that will hurt consumers and also help the hurt the reputation of renewals. So I apologize for such a long answer, but it, it, it's a way of using less gas. Is there an opportunity to use pumped hydro and more battery storage to do the same thing? Yeah, well, look, not exactly the same thing, but yes, absolutely. Um, and so I've already talked about the batteries. We do more and more of that. Pumped hydro, I'm a huge advocate for pumped hydro. I think that is just an absolutely beautiful way to harness renewable energy when it's abundant and then use the hydro clean energy when the sun and wind renewable energy is not available or, or is a bit scarce. It's, it's a tremendous solution. We haven't got a project that's, that's got over the line yet in South Australia, but I'm very confident, you know, one day, whether it's next month or next year or 10 years or whenever, it, it, it'll happen. Pumped hydro is perfect for South Australia. And, and then that means even less gas. Pumped hydro instead of gas, I was thinking. Yes, I know. I know you were. And, and uh, I'm not trying to dodge that. It's not as if one pumped hydro can replace one fast start gas plant. It would be nice if it could, but a series of pumped hydros could potentially do that. But that would take, you know, that would take many, many, many years to get to a series of them being built. Um, because Important to remember also that the, the, the pumped hydro works on an arbitrage, essentially. You know, when, when electricity is cheap, you use it to pump your water up. When electricity is expensive, you let your water go to fill a supply gap and make a dollar. Great for the first pumped hydro in the market. All of a sudden, the second one in the market, you've got two of them buying electricity when it's low and pulling the price up. And when the price is high, you've got two of them dropping their water and putting electricity into the market so that the price drops. So the gap between the high and the low prices is there for the first one. It's a bit less for the second one. It's a bit less again for the third one. So um, while they could certainly be built simultaneously, 
the first one gets far more market benefit than the second, the third, the fourth. Doesn't mean there isn't room for the second, the third, and the fourth, but the commercial benefits to the to the owner operator diminish over time, um, which is is it's a bit unfortunate, but but that's a reality. Getting back to the interconnector between New South Wales and South Australia, which I think is called Energy, Energy Connect. Yeah. So. Given that South Australia already sources more than 50% of its generation from wind and solar, which is the highest percentage of variable renewable energy sources in Australia by a long shot and bettered only by Denmark in the world, yep. it is the skinny grid with that single connection to neighbouring Victoria that is a problem. So can you tell us a little bit more about Energy Connect and where that project is at? Yeah, I'd be, be happy to. And as you quite rightly point out, we've, we've already got interconnection with Victoria, which is, which is great. We've, we're very, very glad to have it. Weather has always gone to you know, fluctuations in demand for energy. Even, you know, you go right back to caveman days, you know, colder, burn more wood. It's hotter, more air conditions come on. But nowadays, that the higher your penetration of renewable energy, the higher the impact that weather has on your supply side as well. So it's not just about the old style energy grid of having enough capacity to meet your peak demand and then running whatever share of it you need as demand fluctuates. Weather controls or contributes enormously to supply and demand these days. South Australia and Victoria have quite similar weather patterns. We need interconnection with New South Wales where we have weather patterns so that we can be swapping and sharing with each other at different times. If you don't have an advantage or a disadvantage compared to your neighbour, you don't need an interconnector because you might as well just have in your state what they've got in their state. It's the swapping and the sharing that lets you keep costs down. So New South Wales is very important from that perspective. You know, example, uh, in South Australia, we've, we've had numerous times where we've had near blackouts in South Australia because of weather. And then towards the end of that day and the next day, Victoria has near blackouts from the same weather moving through, but New South Wales doesn't, or New South Wales does two days earlier or two days later. That's the sharing that we need. Um, so why particularly we're interested in New South Wales. But as I said before, we've got very significant renewable energy generation opportunities further northeast in South Australia, near the New South Wales border, far more than we have in the southeast of SA, near the Vic border so that we can generate that electricity and we can sell it into a very, very big New South Wales market. The, the, the regional centres in Western New South Wales are very large by South Australian standards. So there's a consumer market there which we can tap into. So we can send our wind and sun into Western Victoria rather than them needing to use their, their coal energy, largely in the Hunter region, being sent to Western Victoria. So, so we have development opportunities. We have a chance to, to make our electricity more, more reliable so we can rely on the renewable energy better because we have that supply, another supply option. But most importantly, we can pump our renewable energy into Victoria and they can release themselves from their dependence on coal that much more quickly. When will the project be up and running? Well, the end of 22, 2022 is, is the plan at the moment. We're very much in the hands of uh, the Australian Energy Regulator, who, who is the organisation that gets, has the right to determine whether it stacks up as a regulated asset or not. Uh, we've invested money with Transgrid and Electronet to, to get early work continuing or keep it continuing 
in advance of the decision being made. That's a bit of a gamble on behalf of our South Australian government, but there are some things like, you know, route selection, landholder agreements, environmental clearances, which can be done in advance of the decision, which won't be wasted. So we're taking a bit of a punt on that so that when the decision is made, ideally, you know, a positive decision, then some of that work's already started. Now, that's fantastic because the national energy market grid is very fragile at the moment and it certainly needs those sort of projects to make it much more robust. Yeah, it, it is. And look, I mean, AEMO, the, the ISP, the Integrated System Plan, everything is pointing towards this, making a very significant contribution, not only to SA and New South Wales, but importantly for Victoria, because at the end of us, so instead of us being at the end of a long skinny line, we'd be part of the loop then. So then all of a sudden, Tassie's better off and Queensland is better off. So it's, there's a lot of benefits. Absolutely. Asia, Europe and Australia in the last year are backing the majority of the new green hydrogen projects around the world. And I understand South Australia has the largest electrolyzer in Australia at the moment. Can you tell us what hydrogen projects you've committed to? Yes, hydrogen is, is vitally important for the world. I mean, it's a tremendous energy source opportunity exists already. And, and yes, in South Australia, uh, we have a 1.25 megawatt electrolyzer uh, in situ. It's, it's going through its final commissioning at the moment, the largest in Australia. It's not that big necessarily, but it's the biggest in Australia and it's the it's, it's a foundation building block for more to come. We, in partnership with AGIG, Australian Gas Infrastructure Group, are going to put hydrogen into our gas reticulation network to over 700 houses in a southern suburb of South Australia. So, you, you know, vitally important. And even AGIG, I mean, their whole business is about moving gas around. They realise that's got to change. They are the lead proponents of this project. They have pipeline infrastructure. They want to transition to moving hydrogen rather than, than gas. Um, and so, you know, 10%, 5% initially moving to 10% into 700 homes just to prove that it can be done to me is a very exciting step forward because this, is, this really is a, a foundation project, a pilot project that proves that over time we can transition from consumers consuming gas in their homes and businesses to consuming hydrogen in their homes and businesses. It won't ho happen overnight, but this is a very, very important first step that we're taking in South Australia. The best place for people wanting further information is the website that South Australian government set up, which is www.renewablessa.sa.gov.au. Thanks so much for your time, Dan. And thank you. Thank you very much. We've been speaking to the South Australian Energy Minister, Dan Van Holst-Perlikan. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the community radio network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe to help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs and keep us on the air, please go to the PCD website and click on the donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.